Yes, well, hello. Um, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Al. I'm, as of a few months, assistant pastor here at OCC. And it's great to be looking at Luke 6 again. It, particularly great because last time I was here speaking, I was actually speaking about the very beginning of Luke 6. And then we took a little detour via Advent, which we thought we'd save up for Christmas, which made sense. And now we're back on um, following Luke through from about, we started at, at chapter 6 a couple, of, um, a couple of weeks back now. And it's just really good. I don't know if you've found this, but I've really enjoyed just going through a gospel bit by bit and actually taking the time to look at not just what Jesus says, but how it flows on one thing to another and what he repeats and what he only says once and how it ties together. I've, I've really found it inspiring and I've enjoyed uh, reading through the gospel slowly in my own quiet times as well. And uh, just encourage you to, to try that as well. If, if that's something which you'd like to dig into in more depth, actually, it's really good to go through slowly, piece by piece, and see how things tie together. But actually, Luke 6 can be a bit confusing if you just read it all in one go. And um, just some pictures up there that you might recognize from previous sermons. The, the mix of different imagery that Jesus runs through in quite a short number of verses can initially seem a little bit confusing, a bit like those conversations you've probably all had them with a specialist in a field that you know little about, whether that's building or car mechanics or computers, where somebody's flitting from one thing to another and you're sure that for them it all ties together. But it takes quite a lot of thinking for you to follow their train of thought because they're a specialist and they know what they're talking about. And obviously nobody knows more about the kingdom of God than Jesus here where he's preaching. So it can sometimes take a bit of thinking through to say, how does this all tie together? And thankfully, there's people who know a lot more about digging into biblical texts than I do who've helped us a lot with that. And actually, what you see coming out of the sort of after the narrative at the beginning of Luke 6, what you see is really basically a three-point sermon that Jesus is coming out with. He starts off by acknowledging his audience. He says, you know, the people who are gathered here listening to me, you're blessed because you're ready for what God is doing. And you see that in the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor and needy, essentially. The people who are not so blinded by privilege or riches or complacency that they're not ready for, for what God wants to do and the, the fresh thing that he was doing at that time and is still doing now. So that first bit of the Beatitudes is partly saying, you know, Look, blessed are you who are, who are hearing me and who are ready. And then he goes on to explain what that readiness looks like. What is, what is it that Jesus brings that is new? And Steve was talking a bit on that last week, particularly some radical things like loving your enemies. Um, particularly poignant just in the light of what we were praying about earlier, isn't it, with, um, with the situation in France. And not just loving your enemies because it might be good for you, but loving your enemies because that's the right thing to do. Um, not condemning others. Not judging others. So Jesus lays out some of the things that are trademarks of the kingdom, if you like. This is what he's doing. And then the third part that we're looking at today is really him underlining, this is why it's important. You know, listen to me and do it because it's important. And it's him underlining that sort of that sermon, if you like, with this is how you need to put it into action. 
Jesus is speaking mainly, if you look at the beginning of this, this sermon, mainly to his disciples. Quite a, it says a large crowd of his disciples. So we're not just thinking the 12 here. Um, Jesus drew crowds, we know, at least of four or 5,000 at times. So there's, there's a large crowd of people, and then there's more people from all over Judea as well. So he's talking to people who have some interest in him, um, many of whom would probably have called themselves in some way his disciples. And he's saying, this is how you go about living the life. Now do it. And we're on this bit, don't just listen, act. And Jesus pulls out three different pictures that we can pick up if we read through the passage. So, first one here. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. He goes on, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Then in some apparent frustration, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Most of us will know particularly that last story. You probably know the song. We've certainly sung it enough times. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. And it's been used in lots of different ways. This is one of them. The times that it comes up, it also appears in Matthew's gospel in the same sermon. But the understanding's clear. Now, I've got a picture up here of a very interesting building in uh, Ohio, actually. This is Ohio State University, the Wexner Building. And I always think of this when people talk about foundations because Ravi Zacharias, the Christian apologist, has a fantastic story about this one. Sheridan's nodding. I hope I'll tell it right now because you probably know the, the actual clip, don't you? <laughs> um, and he said he was going to a talk at Ohio State University and his driver took him past this building and said, this is apparently the first postmodern building in the US. And he said, well, what, what does a postmodernist building look like? You know, what does it mean? And he said, well, the architect's idea was that life doesn't make sense, so why should our architecture make sense? So it has arches that aren't complete. You can see a kind of a sunken arch in the middle there. If you look, it's got what looks like scaffolding that's actually part of the permanent um, building itself. It's got staircases that don't go anywhere, pillars that don't touch the floor. And for a performing arts centre, apparently the rooms don't really work very well. <laughs> and uh, the driver did go on to say, yeah, somebody's paid a lot of money for this. But Ravi Zacharias's question on hearing that was, well, I wonder if that same mentality was applied in the foundations. And uh, while it has had to have a lot of restorative work done, I think it's immediately fairly obvious that that isn't an option. You can mess with the form on top, but the foundations have got to be worked out really carefully. And Jesus uses this as a way of talking about how we base our lives. You know, what are we basing our lives on? Are we basing them on just hearing something and thinking, that sounds good? 
or are we actually going to put them into practice at the very base of our lives? And something I'd like to draw out in all of the different pictures that Jesus uses here is there's a time element to them as well, because the best time to work on a foundation is at the beginning. Uh, many of you uh, may have you know, seen some of the shenanigans that have gone on with the leaning Tower of Pisa over the last 20 years. But finally, in 2008, after about 20 years of, of consultation, they think they've stabilized it for the next 300 years. And what they had to do was dig out huge amounts of subsoil and put big cables around it and all kinds of different things to hold it firm while they worked on the foundations and got the foundations to the point where they thought that the tower is actually stable and it's now open again and people can go in and out. But it took so much more work to go back and do it afterwards. And there's a clear encouragement you know, from Jesus, do it earlier on while it's simpler. <laughs> you know, put the foundations right as soon as possible. Then he goes on to trees and their fruit. And, you know, fruit in the Bible is often a sign of deeds, um, what you do. In fact, John the Baptist, when people come to him to, uh, you know, to be baptized, and he's not really convinced of their motivation, he says, you know, (laughs) produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You know, if you're really sorry, let's see some evidence of that. So Jesus is talking here about the fruit but he's talking to a culture that were obsessed with what you did. You know, there was an entire culture of observance of the law down to the letter of the law. It was all about what you did. Were you doing the right things? And Jesus is flipping that on his head. He's saying, doing the right things does not make you a good person. If you are good through and through, then that will result in good coming out of you. And I talk, called this talk uh, Change from the Inside Out because... In each of these pictures, there's a sense of it's coming from the inside. It's coming from the root, the goodness. It's not something that can just be imposed from the outside. Jesus is really big on this. You see it in all kinds of other language that he uses. He refers to the Pharisees at one point as whitewashed tombs. It looked fantastic on the outside, but inside they're full of essentially things that make people unclean. He criticizes people for washing the outside of a cup, and yet the inside's dirty still. Jesus is concerned with what comes out from the inside. The, yes, so I'm just deciding whether to go there. Yeah, I think I will. There's another passage where Jesus talks about ceremonial washing. He says, you know, you're worried about whether or not I'm washing my hands before I eat. But actually, it's not what goes into somebody that makes them unclean, but it's what comes out. And he goes on to list the various things that can come out of somebody that make them unclean. His concern is with the inside. And the thing about a tree is that you can cut it across, like in this picture here, and see all the rings. And every single part of that tree is an apple tree or a chestnut tree or whatever it is. You can't take an apple tree and put thorns on it. You can't take a thorn tree and and put apples on it and expect it to change the tree. The tree through and through is the same tree and the fruit that comes out is in keeping with that tree. Just to pull out the, the time element again, the best time to plant a tree in the proverb is 20 years ago and the second best time is now. And again, I think that's consistent in the pictures Jesus is using. They're deliberately slow-burning pictures. A tree doesn't suddenly produce fruit. Those of you who've 
grown fruit yourselves will know that generally the earliest you're going to get fruit off a tree is maybe two years in. Some fruit, it can be as long as seven or eight years before you even see any viable fruit on that tree. This is a slow image that what you put in, what's at the center, will eventually produce fruit in keeping with its nature. Matthew picks up on the same passage and brings a slightly different slant that's also very useful here. He talks about recognizing the tree from the fruit in the context of knowing who to trust. And it is a world of many voices. I I think you could probably pick any fundamental Christian doctrine and find at least 10 videos on YouTube with somebody very convincingly explaining why it's actually all wrong. Because there's so many people with so many opinions making them all very, very loudly. And Jesus says, well, how do you know the good teachers? How do you know the true prophets? How do you know who to trust? He says, well, look at the fruit. That tells you what the tree's like. If you're concerned about a particular line of teaching, what is the fruit of it? What does it produce in me? Is it something that's godly? Does it make me more like Jesus? Does it make my life look more like Jesus's life? That's a good watchword if we want to know if somebody's teaching is from a good tree or a bad tree. Then he brings up my favorite one, the stored treasure. This is probably tonight's watching, Bilbo Baggins and Smog, hopefully, if I can stay awake. And um, Jesus talks of bringing up the good stored in your heart. Now, it's actually a, a... passage that he sort of uses in different ways elsewhere as well. He talks about the teachers of the law who were experts in what was at the time the scriptures, you know, the Old Testament. And he says that any teacher of the law who gets a hold of what I'm saying is like a king who brings out of his storehouse old treasures and new. So he's talking about bringing out the stored value of God's teaching, God's truth, God's wisdom. But actually, I think perhaps in pictures of treasure hoards with dragons on them, we lose some of the importance of treasure. Treasure isn't just something to be looked at in a showcase. And actually, I I was reminded more of of Q in the Bond films and his massive armory. And Bond goes there because he's got a mission to Jamaica or underwater to find a nuclear submarine. And Q says, oh yeah, you need this and this and this. And, And out of the wealth Of all of his amazing gadgets, he gives him the laser watch and the exploding pen and the Aston Martin with stinger missiles behind the headlights and whatever else it might be. But he brings out of of that abundance of what he has, he chooses things that are appropriate to the mission. And there's something that the people at the time hearing Jesus would have associated with bringing treasure out of you, which is the, the wisdom writings. And the book of Proverbs is shot through and through with the value of wisdom. It talks about it as being a a treasure that's greater than gold, a treasure greater than rubies. It says, get hold of it at any cost because it's more valuable than anything else. So hearing God's teaching and having the wisdom to apply it in in the right situation, to bring it out when when it's useful, when it's relevant, when it's important in the right way, that's a treasure that we want to be storing up. Poppy, as you may know, our three-year-old, is is eminently quotable and says a number of very amusing things from time to time. I I haven't often had the chance to use one in a sermon, 
She is, after all, the same three-year-old who said, when my feet are a bit bigger, I'll be able to pour milk with them. (laughs) But in this case, she did actually come out with something just this last week which made me stop and think. And uh, I was just being silly at the dinner table. You'll all be very surprised to hear that, I'm sure. And Poppy said, (laughs) Daddy's being silly. He's bringing silliness out of his heart. And I thought, yeah, you've got me there. (laughs) You see, the way that you store up accumulated treasure is that you save it bit by bit. You always make sure you're putting more in than you're taking out. And gradually you build up an accumulation of treasure until you have a wealth of it. And then out of that wealth, you can bring out what you need. And... I think Poppy had me bang to rights. I mean, (laughs) I do spend a lot of time, it's true, watching silly sketches on YouTube or finding funny anagrams for things people have written on Facebook or just making bad puns. And the fruit of that is that probably one of the first things that will come to my mind, in fact, as Steve said, you know, somebody says something and my immediate thought is, oh, how can I make a joke out of that? Which is sometimes useful, but actually often probably not. But that's just an example. What we invest in, what we spend time thinking about, what we spend time filling up on, that's what we've got to bring out of our hearts, isn't it? And Jesus talks about it in perhaps slightly more polarized terms than just storing up silliness, which perhaps is not morally questionable, even if Caroline doesn't particularly appreciate it all the time. You know, Jesus talks about bringing out good and evil. And, you know, the good that we store up But Jesus' words have an amazing effect, don't they? Jesus' words change mindsets. Just thinking again of the one Steve was preaching on last week about loving enemies. The world says, get even. Find a way to get justice. And Jesus' words are just totally different. They say, forgive. Love your enemy. Do good to those who persecute you. Now, if you stock up on that every day, What's going to come out of your heart when somebody does you wrong? On the other hand, we can be filling up on cynicism. That's a classic British one, isn't it? The cynical reaction. We could be filling up on cynicism. What comes out of our heart when we hear something good? What's our word for something fantastic? We have unbelievable, incredible. (laughs) It's ingrained in our language, you know. Incredible, unbelievable, but it's not because it happened. And yet our response, as, you know, as indicated by our language, sometimes is that cynical reaction. It's not hard with um, internet, magazines, whatever else it might be, for lust to be something we stock up on every day. And there's, you know, there's any number of ways that can come out. You know, it doesn't have to be going looking for the hard stuff. It can be the side column on the Daily Mail. Um, Funnily enough, pretty much any time you search for good images for a sermon, the Daily Mail has a fantastic stock of images, and you have to put up with this horrendous female sidebar, they call it, don't they? Which seems to be showing scantily clad women and telling you all about how they're really too fat or too thin or who they're making out with now. And it's very easy to stock up on lust without even meaning to every day. Or it could be bitterness, you know, you've all spoken to somebody and, you, and when the conversation just somehow seems to keep coming back to things going wrong or injustices 
but not in a kind of, I want to put this right, but more in a just, I've been wronged kind of way. And you can see the fruit of storing up bitterness over time. So it's not just about putting the good in, although that's the antidote for a lot of it, but it's about also making sure we're not feeding the bad. What are we storing up in our treasures, in our treasure houses? That's a challenge here. I guess I'd like to look at some length about how we could respond to this, because this, this passage is all about not just listening, but doing, and it would seem wrong to spend most of the time talking about you know, what's been said and not to go into the application. I'd hope to use that fantastic clip from the life of Brian, where they have a committee meeting and keep just saying, yes, this meeting's pointless, we must stop talking about it and do it. Yes, I agree, let's stop talking about talking about doing it and do something. And it goes on for about five minutes in that vein. Unfortunately, it's not really suitable material for any number of reasons, including the language used. I discovered when I went and looked it up. So we're not going to have that. But I would like to encourage us to action. And just before going down what action might look like, I'd just like to throw in a a caution in this, which is whatever action you feel God is calling you to out of his words, don't do it alone. You see, Jesus taught his disciples and he sent them out on little mini missions, you know, going to preach the gospel in, in villages and so on. But after he died and rose again, he didn't say, okay, off you go, guys. He said, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit. He said, you'll be clothed with power from on high. So whatever change you feel God is speaking to you about, don't just try to do it yourself. Because, you know, there's, there's so many ways that we can try, but actually if God's power isn't in it, and if we don't have God's help, we're not really very good at changing ourselves. I think we can all relate to that. And the second thing is that Jesus didn't send people out on their own either. He sent the disciples out in pairs when they were preaching the gospel. They continued to operate in teams in many respects after that. The first time that there's a a healing after Jesus' resurrection is Peter and John going to the temple together. Um, Paul went out with Barnabas or with Silas and with other people as well, you know, John Mark and various others. There there was a, a sense in which people operate better in team and Jesus didn't mean us to deal with things in isolation so ask for God's help and for the the work of the Holy Spirit in you when you're looking at how to change but also don't try to do it on your own Um, there's value in talking there's value in sharing there's value in getting support from others and we're a community that love one another Uh, every time I think about this I'm, I'm always struck by that um, comment by Philip Pullman, the, the author, when he dropped in on OCC all those years ago and meeting in the cinema and saw it as a kind of mini welfare state in which there was always support in any situation, one person for another. And that's something not to lose. I think we, you know, I think we have that in our DNA. So as we support one another, it can be not just in practical ways where there's a, a practical need, but also in spiritual ways where there's a spiritual need. I guess the first response that comes to my mind is if your journey with God is just beginning. There's a lot of self-help literature out there about living a better life, 
being a better person, and variations on that theme. And Jesus' comment on trees and fruit is very clear. He says, you know, we, we can't just make ourselves a better person or make ourselves live a better life. That's like trying to put figs on thorn bushes. It doesn't work that way. The whole tree has got to change. And through and through, that tree has got to be a different tree. And the fantastic news is that Jesus doesn't just leave us and say, well, you can't change, sorry. Jesus talked about being born again and being a new creation. And the fantastic thing is that if that's where you're at, I want to be a better person. I want to live a better life, but I can't change myself. The great news is that Jesus offers that total new creation, that recreation, that new life. And he can take a bad tree and recreate it as a good tree that produces good fruit. That's my testimony. That's the testimony of many others in this room, is that we're not in ourselves intrinsically good. It would be lovely if we were, but we're not. But God has changed something fundamentally in us and then gives us his Holy Spirit to keep the transformation going. So there's an encouragement there. If that's the change that you're after, talk to somebody about it afterwards. Talk to Steve, talk to myself. If you came with somebody, talk to them. Graham was mentioning the Alpha course earlier, a fantastic way to explore what it means to know Jesus and be born again. But I would encourage you, don't just go away from here with a sort of an individual, yes, I should think about that. Because the end of lunch... you know, the chances are it's forgotten as other things crowd in. I guess the second challenge that you might be feeling is, is one of obedience. Jesus has laid out how he expects his disciples to live, what the kingdom looks like. And then he says, but you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Every time I read that verse, something new always hits me, and I think, you're right, God. <laughs> why am I not doing that? And... In his graciousness, God tends to highlight things in you know, one at a time or a few at a time because he isn't out to condemn us. He's out there to see us changing. But if your challenge in reading these words or generally reading scripture is, I need to be more obedient to this, then that's, first of all, that's a good thing. God's power is there to change. God's intent is to help us in that. But again, I just encourage you, don't, don't take that away as a personal action and just leave it at that. Because, again, you know, all it takes is two, three conversations about unrelated matters and, and it's just forgotten. And the best intentions can fly out of your mind in a moment. There's a value in sharing that with other people. And that might be uncomfortable, perhaps, but there, are, there will be people who you know you can trust. And you can say, look, actually, God has just put his finger on this and said, you need to start loving that person, <laughs> even though they're doing you wrong. Or you need to stop filling up on this because it's not doing you good and it's offensive to me. And there are people you'll be able to share that with. And then they can remind you of it. And they can ask you in a way that's appropriate and helpful how it's going. And you can see a, a sustained change made. And again, the, you know, as with the tree, as we're storing up the treasure, as with the foundations, the best time to do it is 20 years ago, and the second best time is now. So 
it's really good to get that in place quickly. I'd, I'd encourage you, whatever you feel like God's saying to you, do something about it with somebody who you know before you leave the building today because that will see something lasting changing in you. And I suppose the third response that I thought and certainly that speaks to me is, are you in search of more treasure? Because I am. I wish that in every situation there was something of God that rose up in me and had the right word, had the right action, the right response. Um, The one that always gets me is response to suffering. If somebody comes to me and, and, and is talking to me and talks about you know, prolonged periods of illness or bereavement, I just find myself floundering. I, 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 different people say there's, you know, there's not the right thing to say and other people say there's always a right thing to say or the best thing is to say something or the best thing is to give them space. I, I don't know what to do. I really struggle and thankfully at some important times God has just helped me. But actually I wish that there was a treasure in my heart of how God responds to suffering that I could bring out when I'm in those situations. And there's so many other situations I could list where I feel like a flounder and I wish that I had more treasure in my heart of what God says and how Jesus acts with people. You know, Jesus has the confidence to stand up in front of a crowd far bigger than this and say, can any one of you prove me guilty of sin? And he knows for a fact that no one there is even going to stick their hand up. And every aspect of his life is beyond reproach. He always acts in a way that is right, that is good. He's never lost for words. He might choose not to speak. It's that fantastic time when the woman's brought to him in adultery and he knows that the right response is just to ignore them for a while. And he just writes in the sand. But you know, he, he's never lost for words because there isn't, you know, because he doesn't know what to say. And I wish that I had that treasure in me. So if that's something that resonates with you, I guess, again, my encouragement is this is not about a quick raid on someone else's treasure store. This is about setting in place a savings scheme. And what does that look like? We've just been over our household budget again. Uh, It's not something I particularly enjoy doing, categorizing everything we spend. But trying to go through everything and say, okay, are we making sure we're putting aside more than we're spending? And I guess that's spiritually what we can do as well we can say you know i'm i'm having all these draws on my life am i stocking up more am i running on empty am i sometimes overdrawn how can i be filling up now coming back to what i was saying before about treasure it's clearly intrinsically linked with god's word what are our patterns for getting jesus's words into our hearts one of the things i've discovered recently is that i find it so much easier to engage with the bible hearing it first and then reading it afterwards. And so the fact that there's an audio Bible freely available on every phone made after the year you know, 2010 or whatever is fantastic. Um, if you're finding that your pattern of reading the Bible isn't bringing you life, maybe try listening, maybe try something else, but you know, find some way of regularly getting the scriptures into your head. Um, it's a challenge for me as well. I don't like discipline. I don't like routines. Um, Caroline's probably nodding. No, you're too busy. Okay. (laughs) Making notes. Okay. I'll take that as a compliment. (laughs) 
Um, I don't like routine. I, I really struggle with anything where I feel that I ought to be doing X or Y today or tomorrow. And my first attempt to follow the McChain reading plan, which is a fantastic way to get through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in a year, was a total abject failure. But I have now got a pattern where I'm reading something from the Gospels every day, and it does me good. It really does. Um, there's an encouragement for us to do that. But it's not just about God's word. It's also about how we apply that. And one of the best ways to do that is to make worship a regular part of our life as well. It's fantastic to come here on a Sunday morning and to sing together, to, to worship in other ways, you know, to pray praise to God, to hear his word and to honor it, to break bread together. Those are all fantastic ways to worship God. But there's ways we can do that at home as well. And I guess there's an encouragement here. Are we stocking up on time spent in the presence of God? Are we stocking up on setting that mindset? And worship is about a mindset of um, submission, of praise, and, and that kind of attitude. And there's a call here, I guess, to stock up on worship. What sustainable patterns can we put in place that mean that we're regularly thinking about how much greater God is than us, <laughs> how good he is, how great his plans are for the world, for us, what it's like to be through and through, just, true, and faithful, you know, all those kind of things. What does that do to our hearts? What kind of treasure does that put in us? So there's a challenge here as well to stock upon worship, but in a sustainable way, something that we can still be doing three months, one year, five years from now. And if that's the challenge that you're feeling today, then fantastic. Me too. Um, have a conversation with a friend about it. Talk about what maybe you think you might want to do about it, or even if you haven't got that far, just what you see as the problem. You know, wh where is it that I feel like I'm lacking? Why is it that I'm running overdrawn on my spiritual account, as it were? Because that's the kind of conversation that can come back again and again and can lead to sustained patterns of feasting in the word of God and stocking up on time in his presence. It's amazing being able to teach from Jesus' teaching because you don't really have to add anything to it. <laughs> he said it all, and he'd said it so well. And I'd just love to pray, I guess, off the back of what Jesus has challenged us. So maybe if we can just take 30 seconds first with me not talking, just to, to think over what particularly is it that God's highlighting to me. And then, yeah, I'd just like to pray God's blessing and power over those changes. Let's just take a minute. Oh, Jesus, we want to thank you that you laid out consistently in how you taught, how you lived, and your words that still speak to us today, how we can live, how things can be different. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't leave us trying to make those changes ourselves, but that you give us the power to change. You make it your mission to transform us, to be more like Jesus. Father God, thank you that you've put us in community where we can support others and draw on others to help us in our discipleship. 
And God, please would you help us in our weakness to respond to your words in a way that will have lasting effect in our lives. Solid foundations, good fruit from a good tree, and an overflow of treasure from a store that is full of your goodness. In the name of Jesus, amen.